I'm Alan. And I'm Sarah. And this is Shadows and Shamblers. Recently, HBO released a movie finale for their gritty Western TV series, Deadwood, which had three seasons over 10 years ago. So why are we talking about this? Where is Anya? What is happening? (laughs) Uh, I'm a big Deadwood fan, and uh, it's how I discovered our own Mr. Wednesday, Ian McShane. And right now, Anya is very busy during the summertime being an international academic scientist And uh, so I invited our good friend Sarah to podcast about Deadwood, because I know you are a Deadwood fan too, right? Yes, I am. Uh, Like many people, probably, especially people of my particular age, I discovered Deadwood through like online streaming. Like at the time, I was like a teenager when Deadwood was going on. So my parents, mostly my dad was kind of strict, so I didn't really get a chance to watch the show while it was airing but I'm a huge western fan it's one of my favorite genres um and I discovered this show because I adore Ian McShane yeah I just he's one of the (laughs) random actors that I love to fangirl and not necessarily because I find him ridiculously attractive which I still do (laughs) (laughs) and he's like a total guilt for me (laughs) but I discovered this show, like my brother was watching it and I just sat down and I started watching it with him and I was like, this is amazing. It is so and good. I just, I'm so excited to talk about it with you. Thank you so much for having me. Oh yeah. I, we've been talking about doing this uh, for a long time, probably like a we year. We have. <laughs> yeah. We've been wanting to do it and, it, and uh, we were talking off mic before this about like, for years, we both heard rumors about like a Deadwood movie might happen. Mm-hmm. Like I had lost my faith. I was like, whatever. Like I've got American Gods. I've got Ian McShane in my life. I can watch, you know, Justified if I want my Timothy Oliphant Ooh. fix. To interrupt you slightly, you guys, <laughs> if you need more Oliphant in your life and you haven't watched Justified, do yourself a favor. You can stream it on Amazon Prime. And it is six seasons of just amazing television. And if you love Swearingen, you will love the villain on Justified, Boyd Crowder. Oh, he yeah. is amazing. It's really, yeah, it's really dark. And a lot of Deadwood people pop up in that show, too. Yeah, it's it's super fun to find those, like, crossovers. Like, oh, you were a De- Justified or you were a Deadwood. <laughs> yeah, and it was like, we just didn't believe, you know, I didn't believe that this movie was going to happen anymore. And then... It was like, and then it's happening, right? And then we're like, holy shit, there's like a release date. And I was like, okay, now it's time to do this podcast about Deadwood. So, and you are a regular podcaster. Like, you know what you're doing, right? This ain't your first rodeo. Oh, no. And we've actually talked about another Ian McShane Uh joint called Kings, if that's something that your listeners want to check out. I'm a huge fangirl of the MCU, so I've watched a lot of projects that a lot of the MCU actors, and one of them, of course, is Sebastian Stan, who plays the Winter Soldier, and he did a TV show on NBC called Kings, and he was the gay son of Ian McShane, and I was like, oh, I'm going to talk about this, and Alan's like, I didn't think anybody else knew about this show. Please let me be a, a co-host on that, and I was like, hell yes. Yeah, that was that was made by David Green, who um, co-created American Gods, and uh, is probably the reason why Ian McShane is Mr. Wednesday, 
because he was like the star of that show, right? Yeah, if y'all want to go check out that discussion, you should totally do that. I'm sure Alan will provide a link in the show notes. Yeah, it'll be it'll be there. That was a good talk. I loved it. Um, yeah, so I was excited to get you on uh, for Deadwood because mm-hmm. we're we're gonna dig into the show and not you know not just the movie. So there'll mm-hmm. probably be a lot of spoilers if you haven't seen Deadwood. Um, although I think both of us agree that like. The plot is not totally the thing of Deadwood. It's more like the characters, the setting, the language. And it's somewhat inspired by real events. Like some of the people on this show are inspired by real people like Seth Bullock and Al Swearingen. They were real people. You, I guess you could say history spoilers, but obviously the TV show and the movie don't go exactly how history goes because what fun would that be (laughs) right history spoilers that's good (laughs) yeah and george hurst the the villain of the whole thing is actually like a pretty important historical figure in american history so cool um so what did you think of the movie itself I really enjoyed it. It was really nice seeing all the different characters again. When they were first coming in and you see like Jane coming into town and she's all hammered and then you kind of hear the Deadwood music. The theme. Oh God, the theme of this show is so good. What a good moment. What hit home for me where I was like, oh yes, we're in Deadwood is when Al comes out on the balcony of the gym and he's saying some kind of line and then he just says cocksuckers and i'm just like oh i'm home welcome to fucking deadwood (laughs) i described it as sinking into a warm bubble bath (laughs) that is the word from the show right exactly like if you're getting if you're playing a drinking game at home anytime someone says fuck or someone says cocksucker, take a drink, and you will be hammered by the end of the first episode. Oh, yeah. You're, you're going to be passed out, like, within 30 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, the vulgarity on the show is, like, one of the most fantastic things about it. Like, I love the use of mm-hmm. language on the show. And, like, it puts you in a completely different place where, like, no one in this setting is polite It's never sort of like really dumbed down. Like the dialogue, we were talking about this off mic too. The dialogue is what truly sings in this show. Like this show, I described it as vulgar poetry. And Alan was like, oh my God, that's a perfect description of this show. Totally. Because they just kind of talk in a way where it's not entirely like of the 21st century. There's just like an, just... The way that they speak to each other, the sentence structure, it's just so musical. And then they're like, and then we're just going to like pepper it with vulgarity. And it's amazing. Yeah, it's so good. (laughs) Yeah, it's like Shakespeare with like fucks thrown in there. It's so good. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, like when I watched this, I I was so emotional during the whole thing. Like even it's Mm -hmm. like the second that Jane showed up. And, uh, and I, I felt like I was going to cry and I never cried during the whole thing, but like I was on the edge of tears the whole time. And I was like really biting it back at the end. And, uh, I was just kind of worried that it was going to lose its heart on a certain level and not really tell a story. But I thought they did such a good job of like capturing the political themes of the show that I love so much. This is Bullock's story. And it like really stayed focused on that. I mean, we got the other characters, but it wasn't like I was surprised how little Al Swearingen there was in this, but it was kind of the right choice, I thought. Like, I feel like um, Swearingen in the show 
He was just kind of like this chaotic force that was opposed to Seth. And they were kind of uh, two sides of the same type of coin in a weird way, mm-hmm. but they were just always kind of rotating each other. And I was really interested, and, and I was nervous too, because that like there's been so long since the TV show ended, and it's even lucky if you get any kind of re- resolution to TV shows that get canceled. Like I could probably count on my hands the number of shows that I have like been emotionally invested in that have had some kind of like revival because the fan base was just clamoring for it so much. And the only other ones that really kind of come to mind were Firefly and Veronica Mars. Like Veronica mm. Mars is getting whole new Hulu series because the Mars marshmallows are just that powerful in fans and i think that it's similar with deadwood where the fans are just like this is an amazing story and we want to see what happens to these characters they started at just the perfect right point in history and they kind of picked up on those things that hey eventually we would have gotten to had the show not been canceled right that's the one thing that is kind of bittersweet about not getting a, a more seasons as that we didn't get to see that kind of transition for or like the duality that becomes of Seth where he not only becomes a lawman but he becomes a saloon owner. Right. And that would have been so amazing to see because that was the one thing where Al was always very adamant about in the TV show. He was like, don't freaking be competition. <laughs> That's I don't true. want any kind of competition. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I love that David Milch, uh, who created the show, like he picked out those real life founding fathers of Deadwood and like mm-hmm. um, gave them his own spin and, you know, like fictionalized them. Uh, speaking of David Milch, uh, we'll run down the creators here real quick before we get too much more into what happened in the movie. The movie was directed by uh, Daniel Minahan. He directed several episodes of the television show Deadwood. But also uh, True Blood, Game of Thrones, like he's a working TV director, so. Yeah, he's a big HBO guy. <laughs> exactly, exactly, yeah. And, you know, like in, in terms of the quality of uh, the direction, like I thought that like all the visuals really popped in the movie. It looked great. It didn't oh, look yeah. like a it TV movie. Beautiful. Yeah, it looked like a real movie. Like I was like, wow, this looks amazing. Yeah. And I mentioned David Milch, who wrote and created the show. He was the showrunner. But he also uh, wrote on Hill Street Blues. That's kind of where he got all of his street cred originally, kind of cut his teeth. And he was the creator and showrunner of NYPD Blue. He's an amazing uh, writer and creator. So no surprise that Deadwood is of such a high quality. As usual, uh, we'll give a little recap of what happened before we talk about it. Uh, So in the movie, George Hurst returns to Deadwood to induct South Dakota into the American Union. And he tries to dominate Charlie Utter and Marshall Bullock. Meanwhile, Alma Ellsworth and Calamity Jane return to town to witness the ceremony. When Trixie provokes Hearst, Charlie refuses to sell his land and Bullock won't back down. Hearst murders and threatens in order to get his way. All the while, Al Swearingen is suffering from liver disease. After using his saloon to host the wedding of Seth and Trixie, Al is bedridden. Marshall Bullock arrests Hearst, and the town seems unified against him as Al passes away. And a slight correction on that summary. Oh, what did they do? Uh, it was Soul Star that Trixie married. Oh, shit. <laughs> 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 Why did I put Seth? 
I don't even know. Saul Star. Yeah, you're totally right. I just rewatched all three seasons. You'd think I'd know the fucking name of the characters. <laughs> There's just so much like good content that happens in Deadwood that your brain just got overwhelmed in fanboy mode. <laughs> yeah, nobody ever calls him, you know, like the only person who calls him Saul, I feel like, is um is Bullock, right? Yeah. It's like everybody else tells him like Trixie is like shut your Jew mouth and stuff like that. That's one thing. Like you kind of have to have like a thick skin and not get easily offended watching this show because it doesn't really pull its punches. It's not like what people would say is like the most politically correct show, but I don't think that they ever go into outright racist caricatures. Like even with Wu, who really kind of skirts that line. (laughs) Right. They still give Wu a lot of humanity. I feel like personally, maybe like uh, people that are Asian American might feel differently, but I feel like they like Wu. I fucking love Wu. Every time that Wu and Al have a conversation, it's so good. I'm like, ah, oh, it's so good. It's great. No, I agree. Uh, I think. Well, I think that any of the racist language in the show, and and there's a lot of misogyny too. I think that. Mm-hmm. I think you could do a reading of it where you say like all of this is gratuitous and it's like, but I think that he's, all of it is actually intentional. And, you know, when people tell Saul to like shut his Jew mouth or whatever, what it's really pointing out is just like the embedded racism of the time, right? Like he can never get away from that identity and stereotype. Everybody is always going to use that against him. And that's the way that like Hostetler was treated. I think the story really puts your sympathy especially with Hostetler and the way that his story ends uh, you know in the show not the movie um, Mm -hmm. that like he is one of the most honorable people in Deadwood and he's treated so unfairly to the point where like he has no more dignity and commits suicide exactly I don't think that you could actually do an honest reading of the show and say that it's like racist it's just using racist language to like properly contextualize the time and place like i almost feel that it's a similar situation to people that want to take the n-word out of mark twain's books like tom sawyer huck finn and i'm like but you're trying to whitewash history exactly It's it's just ridiculous to be like like taking that out like we have to show it to show like this is how it was for people back then and this is how people of color were written and you can't just paint over that like friggin tom sawyer paints over a fence or gets other people to (laughs) right right yeah literally whitewashing yeah because that's exactly that's the whole point of of huck finn is um you know by the end of the story huck is willing to go to hell to help his friend who is black and so like taking out the n-word like completely misses the point of the book like you're not uh, actually solving a problem there you're just making things worse um yeah so i don't know like people i'm sure that people have and could do a reading of deadwood um you know that says it's racist it probably could do better with its representation but i think yeah. i think the show is is fantastic and gives those characters like a, a real interiority and i loved seeing woo in the movie show up with his grandson who could speak English yes. and was the translator. And there's that tiny yeah. little moment where he calls him 
Mr. Swinjin in just mm-hmm. the same way that Wu does, uh, even though yeah. he can speak English. And I was like, oh, what a good detail. And I love it where he's uh, like, Al was just making that little negotiation. He's like, you work for you can work for me here go do this and i'll pay you some money and the little kids just kind of like haggling him and <laughs> yeah. i was like oh this is so great <laughs> hey Al, you for hire yes mr switching good i want you to take this note to salt star to get this lady trixie over at the bullock star hotel over the road there you got that how much will you pay me? <sighs> Payment upon return and job verified complete. Now go wait outside the door for your granddad. Wait. favorite interactions from season one is when Wu comes up there and he's to give context to the listeners who haven't watched Deadwood there was these opium addicts that stole a bunch of dope and Wu was the one that kind of sold that and Deadwood and his dope got stolen by these two dope fiends and Wu was pissed and he got I think he got like two men killed in the process right and he goes up to Al and he's like Swenson! Oh, th- this is him dead. Uh, oh, yeah. And, and these two. Bakwailoni. Cocksucker. Yeah, glad I taught you that fucking word. These are whites, huh? Uh, white cocksucker. Two white cocksuckers killed him and stole the dope that he was bringing to you. White cocksucker. You, Swenson. The dope that you were gonna fucking sell to me? White cocksucker! These two white cocksuckers? Who the fuck did it? Who? Who, you ignorant fucking chink? Who? 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 Who stole the fucking dope? Cocksucker! Oh, Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) And then Al's like, I'll take care of it. Just go out the back door. It's one of the best cocksucker moments in the entire show. It's so good. It's so good. (laughs) And another form of representation, just for me personally, I think that the female representation on this show is fantastic. And it's so varied. And another thing that they don't kind of whitewash, and it may bum some people out, is sort of like the reality of sex workers on this show. And because, like, you see, like, with a lot of Westerns, you'll see, like, really pretty ladies and they're all done up. Like, uh, a perfect example would be, like, the idealized version of sex workers on Westworld, which that is intentional. But you can see that a lot in other Westerns, too, depending on how gritty they want to be. And Deadwood doesn't really beat around the bush and be like, these are women that are having to use their bodies because that's the only commodity that they have. But you never kind of lose sight of their humanity. Like, Trixie's an amazing character. And you have um, Alma. She's an amazing character. I really love her. There's Jody, And you get to see her kind of arc of, like, just being, like, someone that works for Powers Booth's character to growing her own business. That's and then so you also good. have Calamity Jane. 
who's just is like amazing <laughs> and like the female representation there's like just all these different female characters and they're given just as much interiority and just as much complexity as the male characters and i really appreciate that totally yeah i love like the dynamic between alma and um bullock's wife the way that you know she understands that Bullock and Alma were an item, and that she understands she interrupted everything, but at the same time, yeah, she's like you know needs to have a place here in this community, and then she grows to have genuine feelings for Bullock, and just like, and and none of that is like they never sit down and have a conversation, right? It's all done with like yeah. looks at each other, which is just some amazing face acting, uh, as Anya says, like. Uh, it's just such really good stuff. And Calamity Jane, you talk about representation. Like, here's a woman who dresses like a man, you know, who is um, clearly attracted to women, probably a trans character in a Western before there was, like, any language in American culture for that, right? Yeah. And just, like, the best character who will not take your shit, but who will be there for you no matter who you are if you need help when you need help that's one of my favorite arcs with calamity jane because personally it took me a little bit to warm up to her character because i'm like okay this lady she's like a really mean drunk but then once (laughs) like the part where she started to shift for me as a character is not the cliche part where everyone would think it's oh when she's taking care of the little girl no it's when she's helping the doctor in the town treat all of the smallpox that's going through yes and she has an immunity to it and she's in there and she doesn't ever kind of like soften and compromise who she is as a person She is just as foul and just as nasty and sometimes she gets just as drunk as she would regularly, but it kind of gives her a purpose. Like, I love it where she just stumbled across that guy that had been left for dead in the woods treated of smallpox and she just kind of sat there and drunkenly nursed him to some kind of semblance of hell. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like... His whole thing, I apologize over and over. I apologize. (laughs) (laughs) When I originally watched this show, I was watching it week to week as it was airing on HBO. And Mm. uh, my roommate at the time, like I was in college and um, we we watched this and that was like a thing between us. Like if one of us ever did anything (laughs) wrong, we would say, I apologize. Apologize. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. I love that guy. Also, though, uh, speaking of women in representation, you had Cleo King as Aunt Lou. Ooh, yeah. Who is great. She's so good. You talk about interiority where you get this kind of code switching that she does when she's mm-hmm. in front of Hearst. Um, she's his mammy, right? And she's yeah. she's so obsequious and like obedient and everything. And then as soon as he's gone, you see all the resentment and fear um, that that character carries with her all the time. But then when she goes and plays uh, dominoes with like Wu and all of them, 
she's like so boisterous and like full of life and like, uh, you know, smoking a cigar and drinking and yelling at all of them and having fun. Yes. It's so good. Oh, <laughs> so amazing. I love it so much. And it's not like she gets a ton of time on screen, but like every second of her is like just filled with character and it's so good. Mm-hmm. Every character is kind of taken care of and given like this just amazing kind of complexity and depth like even wild bill like i love the actor that played wild bill the only other show that i knew him from was he played the fbi agent that deb fell in love with on dexter oh wow and he looks completely different on deadwood I've always kind of had like this caricature in my mind of Wild Bill Hickok and that actor injected so much depth and emotion in Bill. Like the part in, I think it was, God, maybe like the second or third episode where they're helping uh, Seth and Saul. It like, and it kind of made my shipper heart kind of tingle a little bit because it was so cute how Charlie Utter was like, okay, we just all need to go on and get together. And they were all kind of just having like a, a building party. And it was like, okay, we have the two different couples and it's so amazing. And they were just having like the building party and just having a good time and everything. And then this guy comes up trying to be all like, oh, I'm your biggest fan. And then turns into classic toxic fandom where the person is like, okay, thank you, now move along. And then he's all like, fuck you, Bob Bill, fuck you, and just starts cussing him out. And he's like, I hope you die. And just like the look in that actor's face, the devastation is just so amazing. Like, he did an amazing job. He wasn't on the show for that long before he got killed, but it what they did with him was fantastic. Oh, yeah. I, I feel like... Bill is in the show for the entire run. Like you still feel Mm -hmm. his presence even in the movie, right? Like Jane says that like Bill was here with me, like in that moment where she saves Bullock. Uh, Yeah. Keith Carradine is uh, the guy who played uh, wild Bill. He's amazing. And of course his brother, uh, David Carradine is like the famous actor from the TV show Kung Fu, which is like a Kung Fu Western fusion show and he was uh bill and kill bill yeah uh, so <laughs> it's like all cylindrical <laughs> yeah so they they have that you know whole western connection thing going on it's great uh he's fantastic like it was great but in like a tragic way like charlie utter's last speech before he gets killed like i love that actor i uh loved him on uh, deadwood and then he was also unser on sons of anarchy Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. And he was amazing on Sons of Anarchy and just the whole kind of like funeral scene and the the super sweet connection that he just had with all the ladies on the show, like with Jody. That was one of my favorite little relationships. Mm-hmm. And in a totally platonic way is how much uh, Charlie respected Jody. And she was walking around kind of looking for property because she wanted to open up her own saloon. And Charlie Utter was just kind of like just offering to be her escort in like these gigantic mud-filled streets. And like his little interactions with Alma and the little girl were always so, so sweet. And it just, it made my heart all 
gushy and then that whole speech and then he died and I was just like fucking burn everything to the ground Seth for real right for real yeah he yeah he has this touchstone with all of the characters in the town Mm -hmm. Um, just like that speech that Seth gives at the graveside where you know he talks about when Saul Starr and I came to this community Charlie Utter was first man forward offering his hand in greeting all the time, Saul and I formed a friendship with Charlie. We reached our lives. Come up too proper, he was good-natured and just. Come to any way at all, I never saw a man stand up down. Only right, he should be buried on the land he worked his life for. Charlie was took from us wrongful, and he was... He was took too soon. We ask respite for a good man's soul. Pray the Lord carry him home. No man never stood up for me how Charlie did. Nor with no word about doing it, neither. Amen. 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 Amen to this. And to have that character be killed is such a smart choice because it really like unites the town against Hearst in a fundamental way. Yeah. Another sweet moment that was really great was between Jody and Jane where Jane's just kind of like hovering on the outside because she's not ready. I don't think they ever understand what it was about Charlie Utter that Jane just didn't like but she would always kind of have this weird love-hate relationship with Jane and he was always so amazing and supportive of her but she'd just be like, (laughs) fuck you Charlie Utter! And Jody comes up to her and she's like, I remember when Remember when Bill passed? Charlie's old broke up peeping out the camp. Couldn't attend the goodbye. And I recollect, too, a girl barely could put one foot front the other, but weren't going to fail to see Bill Hickok off. Charlie uttered. I was just like, whoa! Oh, God, yeah. Oh, that is so heartbreaking that she knows exactly what to say. Because you don't know how that whole thing's going to go, right? When you first see Jody again, it's like, yeah. oh, has she changed, you know, in a way that this whole thing is just not going to work out. But then I think really through that, that actress's performance, you get the sense that like she was heartbroken and she was just doing her best to not feel that heartbreak needing to be there for Jane while she's grieving is what brought her back. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh God. It's so good. The relationships are so good, man. God damn, the writing is so good. And that was one of my favorite moments in the movie is Charlie kind of like telling her, kind of giving her a pep talk. And he's like, oh, you could tell her, blah, blah, blah. And Jane's like, well, could you write all that down? And he's like, you know how to talk to her. You'll know what to say. And he was just so amazing and supportive. So, yeah, it was just like a huge kick in the gut when they killed Charlie because he was almost kind of like the heart. Him and Ellsworth were like, the hearts of the show and they're like you just kill one and then you fucking kill charlie and i'm just like oh my god what are you trying to do to me (laughs) it's true like if they tried to go on with this story like there would be like kind of an an emotional center that would be missing right uh at this point yeah 
when Seth finds out that Charlie is dead and he just like goes out in front of the hotel and shoots his gun in the air and he's like, I want to speak to Hearst. <laughs> or he's like, Senator Hearst, get out here. Just like, oh, that is one of my favorite kind of motifs that happened in Westerns. And it was so freaking amazing. And another moment is the black general, he points him out and he's like, that's the guys that killed Charlie Utter. And uh, one of them grabbed... Wu's grandson, and he was just like, pew! Yeah, you think that you're going to be able to use a kid as a shield? No, no, that's not going to work. I don't think there's anything more sexy in the world than Timothy Oliphant walking around in a fucking duster and a cowboy hat with six shooters on his waist. Like, sploshity sploosh. <laughs> he's so good. A very close second is like his overall look on Justified, where mm-hmm. he's just got like the pants and the gun on his hip and the 10-gallon hat, and I was just like, oh my god. Raylan Givens is almost kind of like a spiritual successor to Seth Bullock. So it was like very natural fit for Timothy Oliphant. Like, again, he needs to be in more Westerns because he's amazing in them. I did want to get a little bit serious and talk about um, politics on this show because Deadwood is actually like a touchstone for me personally um, when it comes to politics. And I don't talk about my politics very much on any of the podcasts. I mean, me and Anya talk a lot about like social justice politics. Um, I always want to do story readings that are oriented from those frameworks. First and foremost, look at who's included and who's not and why um, before we figure anything else out. But like I said, when I watched the show, I was in college um, because I'm an old motherfucker who was born in the (laughs) seventies. <laughs> but I didn't have like very strong politics because I grew up in a evangelical, very conservative household. And so, of course, everybody there was kind of voting along uh, with Republicans. And uh, mm-hmm. but when I, you know, when I moved out, I wasn't like a Republican. I was like, I don't know what I am uh, because I'm definitely not that shit. So the way that I got into Deadwood was I read these books um, by Stephen King called The Dark Tower series. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Oh, yeah. Okay, so The Dark Tower series, for people who don't know, is basically like, what if Clint Eastwood uh, had a magic gun and fought Cthulhu? And they're fucking awesome. They're amazing. I love uh, The Dark Tower series. I'm kind of doing it short shrift by describing it like that because it sounds ridiculous. Um, but I meant it to sound cool. They also had the movie that came out recently where Idris Elba played the gunslinger and Matthew McConaughey was the man in black. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff I like in that movie. I like, I know that the fans hate that movie, but, um, I thought there was a lot of cool stuff in there. Uh, those books got me into Westerns in a way that I hadn't been into Westerns before. I read those books and then Deadwood came out and I'm like, oh, I'm into this. Like fucking Seth Bullock is like the gunslinger from uh, The Dark Tower. So this is cool. I was trying to think of the show in terms of like good versus evil. But it wasn't really working because even though Al will murder people and do bad things, He's not really evil, right? He's building the town. And Seth is not exactly good because he will like, he will beat someone to death. Yeah. He, he like goes at EB at one point and he's wrong to do it. This show is not talking about good or evil in a way that I'm used to. So what is it actually talking about? And when I bought the DVDs, David Milch talks a lot about 
um, his politics and the inspiration for why he made the show. I don't know if you know anything about like what he was trying to do, what his original pitch to HBO was um, when it came to Deadwood. No, do tell. The original pitch that he went to HBO with was, I want to make a show about Rome before it was Rome. (gasps) Oh, wow. It was going to be before they formed the Republic, but they had founded the city of Rome. (laughs) He does that pitch and then like another network comes out with a show about Rome. And then David Mills is like, well, fuck, (laughs) I can't do this show now. But what he was interested in was forming a society that had no laws. And then how does it become like a society with laws? And what are the trade offs that happen from having basically a political anarchy where people can do whatever they want to having a civilization where there are laws and people have to follow the rules or be punished. Is it necessarily a good thing to have laws? The character of Bullock in the first season represents like anarchy and Swearingen represents civilization, which sounds backwards, right? It that it really does. But if you think about it, Al's the one who built the gem. He's the one who like owns the land. He's interested in America coming and taking over the camp to make it legitimate. He wants to like build the community and Bullock just wants to come in and do his own thing. He just wants to run a business. He doesn't want to be a government official. He doesn't want to get involved in other people's shit. He just wants to like not have any responsibility anymore. And it's kind of interesting because in like a really super antagonistic way, like Swearingen kind of pushes Seth to take a more active role in the community. Exactly. At first, kind of where he's like, don't be my competition. And Seth's like, no, I'm not gonna. I just want to sit out here and sell trading supplies to these gold miners. And Swearingen's like, okay, all right, I don't believe you. But in like a weird way, he's almost kind of like a dad where he says, I see the potential in the potential greatness in you. And at first he didn't like it because it's just like Seth has that kind of energy where even when he's trying to be invisible, you can't help but notice him. Right. He just kind of has that natural air where people are drawn to him because he just kind of has that kind of authority without being a showboat about it. And Swearingen just kind of, in a funny way, just kind of muscles him where he's like, finally Seth's like, fine, I'll be the friggin' marshal. <laughs> <laughs> and that's exactly like the, the thing that I'm talking about. Like, I didn't understand when I watched that first season. I'm like, why does he want him to be the sheriff? Like he is up to like no good. He's a fucking like criminal mafia boss. Why does he want an honest man as the sheriff instead of a man that he can buy? But the reason is because Swearingen wants there to be a legitimate real town. Mm -hmm. Um, And he wants to be involved in that. He doesn't necessarily want to run it like as the mayor. He wants to be the guy behind the scenes who like has a finger in every pie, right? But he doesn't want to like, yeah, he doesn't want to be like in charge. To hear David Milch talk about like political anarchy and I'm like, but anarchy is like, that's bad, right? That's like where anybody can do whatever they want. And then I like started to read about political anarchy and like, oh, it's like 
a whole political tradition and there's like lots of different books written about it and like there's a lot of important thinkers who who talk about this and then i'm like rereading the bible and i'm like wow jesus is a political anarchist who is like you know what don't worry about how you're dressed or what your job is like look at the flowers in the field and the birds and the trees they don't worry about that shit like just be like them just do whatever man uh don't worry about rome just you know be nice to each other and shit and uh (laughs) you could have a political system where people do what they want to do and like what you're usually told about that is that it's a bad thing that if people do what they want they'll just kill each other right or they'll you know steal rape whatever you need a government in place to keep people on the level path but if you watch especially that first season of deadwood the people who are the most concerned with justice are like wild bill hickok and Mm -hmm. and seth bullock who don't have official positions in the town, but they go out and save the little girl in the middle of the night. And then when Wild Bill is killed and they get together an ad hoc government and have a trial about it, what do they do? They find his murderer not guilty. Like that's what society gives you is the real injustice. It's not society doesn't protect you. Society protects society. Because they find him not guilty so that America will come in and not feel like they're trying to be their own country, you know, uh, sentencing people to death. Society prioritizes itself like Deadwood as an institution is more important to itself than to any of its citizens. And it's only the people who are actually concerned with justice like Seth Bullock who can make justice happen. And that's what happens in this movie, right? Where you have Hearst come in and he represents civilization and progress. The telephone lines are coming in and he tells Charlie Utter, I don't care about your private property. I don't care about what you want for your retirement or what your father told you. You will do what I say or I will kill you. That's civilization. That's society and America what Charlie Utter represents self-governed behavior that is concerned with his own conscience. He does what he feels is right, not what he feels like is the best thing for everybody necessarily. Because the best thing for everybody would be to sell his land for progress, right? And I feel like the end of the movie with Samuel, you know, with the, the little general, him deciding to testify against Hearst is like him deciding that's not the right choice for him, right? That's yeah. that's dangerous. But he does what's right for his conscience. He stands up for what's right. Samuel's not serving society. He's doing the right thing for himself, not yeah. for the town. And that is just amazing the way that Milch manages to write that and how he shows like the pros and the cons of all of it and makes it so much more complicated than I feel like any other show would do with the same material. And it like it really um, broadened all of my horizons as a young man to watch this show and like opened up entirely new political realities for me. It is probably the thing that I love about this show is how smart it is about 
that portrayal of anarchism, um, which usually in most Westerns, it kind of indulges in a fantasy of like white men who can do whatever they want. Right. Yeah. Because they have a gun. Oh, this thing where men could be men and outlaws and just fuck society. Like, I completely agree with you. The political machinations on Deadwood are some of the best parts. Like, I remember when they were trying to form a government and Al was like, put out peaches. Oh, that's so good. (laughs) And I love that they had that in this, too. Yeah. Like, she was putting out the peaches. And I love how EB gets put up as the mayor, but he doesn't have any kind of real respect among these people. Right. He's just kind of there because he's easily manipulated. <laughs> and he's so proud of himself for being mayor. Exactly. It means absolutely nothing. That shit does not matter. Like he is not going to contribute. It doesn't matter if the town has a mayor or not because it's down to the people who actually get shit done like Al. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like this movie is also like influenced by like Trump and all that stuff where like you get like Hearst walking through the street and the crowd turns on him and I'm like I feel like that's Milch you know indulging in some Trump fantasy especially with like this amazing image of this quote unquote nasty woman full ass pregnant just cussing him out like embarrassing the hell out of him and I was just like this is amazing it's yes Trixie do it (laughs) it feels like that's the start of the movie right when she's on the balcony Mm -hmm. and the whole parade stops and the music stops while making your money progress. Have I missed word of your appointment to some position of authority? Have I missed word of yours, you bald-pated cunt? For ain't it so, sir? It's the thieving and throat-cutting them's bloodied and dead in the mud as still stiffens the member in your long johns. Mike? Why not press forward, for Christ's sake, set herself aflame? Nor ought I fail to remark from this vantage twitch you're very mug and a snatch has gone haired over sideways mayor farnham it's a trixie hasn't lost her gift she ain't for a fact time can't touch that letting this slimy cocksucker slither his way in our camp's inner workings and aren't you the vile bodying of a gutter mouth trollop and tramp as you are of a murdering shitheel Oh, Trixie, I missed you. You're so good. That's another relationship that I really love for all of its complexity. You're totally right. It's never about good and evil. You can't deal with something as binary as good and evil out in the West because it just doesn't compute. It doesn't work. Yes, Al can be a horrible person to these women, treat them horribly, talk to them horribly. Like him and Trixie didn't have exactly have the best relationship. And he treated her like shit sometimes. But at the same time, when push comes to shove, 
the angels of his better nature are going to come out. Like, one of my favorite Al Swearingen moments. Like, I was already kind of falling in love with him from the get-go. <laughs> even when he was doing and saying awful things to people. And, like, as a feminist, maybe I should be objecting to some of the stuff that, especially that he does to women. But one of my favorite, favorite, favorite Al Swearingen moments is when he can see what is happening to the preacher and how yeah. he he has a brain tumor oh, and he's just slowly falling to beast and that's another great character that is portrayed very compassionately because if you would have a religious figure in like another person's hands especially if it's christian like they would kind of maybe take it to where he's very sort of like fire and brimstone and ter like a terrible person mm -hmm. but that character is treated with such amazing compassion and grace and he is just so amazing and then he just starts to deteriorate in front of his eyes and Al is the one that does the human thing and mercy kills him and yeah. smothers him because he he had a similar experience with his brother and I was just like oh the writing on the show is so good yeah it's oh man that whole thing is so heartbreaking and that speech that Al gives when he does that he's talking to Dan you want to be a road agent deal out death when called upon Make a proper seal. Stop up the breath. Apply pressure, even and firm, like packing a snowball. That reminds me, we haven't uh, talked about Doc yet. I love Brad Dorf's character. He is fan friggin' tastic. I love him. He's like, cursing out Al, and he's just like, just yeah. sit down and stay Would in the goddamn bed. bed? <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. Which that whole thing, right, calls back to the kidney stones right i can admit that maybe some the first time i watched it through i was like okay what the hell are they doing with al but at the same time i just love how put upon brad Dourif <laughs> can act sometimes whenever he's having to deal with al because it's just so frustrating like again kind of bringing in like a shippy aspect it's almost like this like old frustrated married couple yeah and it's just like god damn it will you just fucking listen to me <laughs> and take care of your Yourself. You can tell that he really cares about Al. Um, mm -hmm. And Brad Dourif, of course, legend, amazing. Oh, so freaking amazing. So good. Like, if you only know him as Grima Wormtongue or the voice of Chucky, you are missing out. Even when he's dealing with Alma, when she mm. is having, like, her opium addiction and then she's slowly kind of, like, weaning herself off of it. The whole way that him and Trixie kind of help her through that when she's trying to negotiate with EB and Swearingen with all his machinations behind the scenes is so amazing. And the care that he takes with Trixie when she tries to kill herself. Right. It's just, there's so many amazing things. And you also kind of get like the shades of 
uh, his backstory of him being a doctor during the Civil War and how that truly fucked him up. Oh, God. And, like, the PTSD that he deals with having to deal with seeing boys dying on the battlefield. And he almost kind of has, like, a really nihilistic view Mm-hmm. Of things because he just saw the worst of humanity during the Civil War. And maybe in the similar way, he's kind of like Bullock where he came out there and he's like, I just want to treat people. I don't want to get dragged into a lot of bullshit because <laughs> I have already been through enough and right. I don't want to go through any more. Like you can't get out of it, right? Yeah. And exactly. It- you can't run away from society like it's always And even though I'm talking about like anarchism and all of that stuff. Milch is so honest about it, right? Because all of the yeah. good things in life come from that society, even though society can be a motherfucker and like discriminate against you because of the color of your skin or your sex or your religion or your background, whatever. You know, at the same time, society is what gives you Charlie Utter and that funeral. Society is what gives you those meaningful friendships where it's like an old married couple. So you need it. Uh, It's the only way that you're going to have anything meaningful in your life. But there's a price to pay. And the show is so honest about that. And you get kind of like the situation with like Ellsworth where he's just basically a drunk out in the things that's just coming in. Okay, I got some gold. I want to get some cash so I can get some drink and maybe uh, talk with a a whore or something. And then he kind of goes up to where he's marrying Alma and he's become like a respected part of the community gunned down because of fucking Hearst. Yeah, because he does the right thing, right? Because he stands up to him. I will say one reunion that... I don't think we got in the movie and I was very disappointed was we didn't get to see Calamity Jane interacting with the little girl. I can't remember her name that Elma eventually ended up taking in. And she was just always like, that was like the one person maybe aside from Jody where she would get really super soft and gentle with. Like mm-hmm. when she was talking to the little girl when she was still kind of like unconscious and she every time she'd say a swear word, she'd go, oh, I owe you a penny. Right. And it was just <laughs> so sweet. And I was very annoyed that we didn't get like an interaction between her and Jane. I was like, if they put out a movie and they have some deleted scenes, we better have a friggin' deleted scene where Calamity Jane sees that girl all grown up. Oh, there might be now that you say that. Yeah, because I did read on Twitter that um, like the guy who plays Dan was saying there's a lot of deleted scenes. I think there's like another 30 or 40 minutes that they cut out. Excellent. The Deadwood, the extended cut. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. That character um, is Sophia. I think that's her name. Sophia. Oh, yeah. Sophia. What did you think about the ending? Because it it almost kind of feels like it ends a little abruptly. And maybe that's just because I'm conditioned to Westerns going a certain way. But of course, with Deadwood, it kind of supersedes your expectations or it likes to thwart your expectations of what you think a Western is. But I mean, I, I thought that it was really good, but it almost kind of left it maybe it like especially with like the Hearst storyline where if maybe they wanted to do another movie it could be possible mm-hmm. but it also kind of felt like a nice little button especially with like Swearingen sort of like the whole thing our father who art in heaven and Al being you know, like let him fucking stay there 
I thought that was so good. It's the perfect line from him, right? And that's kind of like yeah. the the whole thing of the show, right? Like, are we going to be in charge of ourselves or are we going to serve a higher master? And, mm-hmm. you know, and as much as Al wants to be included in society, he wants to have his own agency. He wants to be in the game, you know? Yeah, it's almost kind of like the the tables were turned in a way yeah where it seems like al was the one that was kind of like fighting progress fighting the future and seth was the one going with the flow and kind of like going with society going with change it was it was kind of funny how they kind of it seemed to switch absolutely i love that you said that it was something that i really noticed in the movie because there's that moment where jane goes back to tom nuddle's place and i noticed right away that tom for all the fucking shitty hole in the wall that he is absolutely not upgraded from day one in Deadwood. He has so good. He has electric lights strung along the ceiling, which is kind of like the perfect Tom Nuttall thing because he's the guy who gets the bicycle. Like he's into the latest, you know, greatest contraption. So of course he's going to be the guy who gets electric lights in his joint, even though his joint is like a terrible non-upgraded place. Um, but then you compare that to the gem, which was still operating on all oil lamps. And like, there were yeah. some burning torches in there. And I was like, Al is not like, he's stuck in place. He mm-hmm. exactly like you said, like he's, he's stuck in the past in some way. And it's just, he's just, just sort of been passed by. And maybe it's because of his, uh, part of it is because of his health and he just wasn't able to keep up so he was kind of left behind and he's just kind of like almost become like this relic in the town where of course people still defer to him especially like the guys that are still a part of his crew but <laughs> the rest of the town have kind of kind of gone beyond it and i love oh, another moment that we have to talk about is uh, the bidding war for uh, oh my Charlie God. Utter's land. That was another amazing moment. And I loved it that it was Alma that stepped in and kind of helped secure the land. Mm-hmm. It was like she was fighting for Deadwood. It's so and good. I loved the interactions between her and Seth. And I loved that they let them have that moment dancing at Saul and uh, Trixie's wedding. But it wasn't any, they didn't go any more of that. They just kind of said that there are still some warm feelings there. And especially from Alma, like you want to talk about a really amazing face acting. That actress that plays Alma when she goes off into the corner to kind of collect herself because she's like, yep, still got it for that sexy, sexy (laughs) Marshall. Molly Parker is amazing. She's, she's such a good actress. She's so great. Yeah. Her, like, even when she was um, the mom on Lost in Space, the Netflix uh, show, she was yeah. so great in that. The, all the stuff with her is like so fabulous because that character is like simultaneously so fragile and so strong and like um, so lonely, right? She's always been lonely. That's yeah. her main energy. And then that bittersweet moment where Seth's um, daughter like sweeps in between them and he scoops I think it's a, I think it's the daughter he scoops her up and like is smiling at her and has all that the joy of having a family um, yeah. and and walks away from Alma and like her heart is breaking 
I think, you know, now that we're talking about it and we're talking about Alma and stuff, I think that is part of the point of what's going on with Al is, you know, like Trixie has Saul and, you know, Seth has a family and even Charlie Utter like had his land and everything. And Al's got his joint, but like, you know, things are kind of like too civilized now right like he can't Mm -hmm. do the same kind of action that he used to and what's the alternative like he never cultivated any long-term relationships where he had like a family or like anything like that everybody that is associated with him is employed by him in some way like he's everyone's boss right and they care about him but that's not the same thing as like what Seth has where he has a family where they're all holding hands and saying grace. Exactly. And I thought it was so sweet that Al gave Trixie away. Oh, I love the wedding. I love it. How she was just like commanding all of the girls in the gym. And she's just like, this is my special day. And this is how we're going to fucking do it. (laughs) (laughs) And I love it how Saul gets so frustrated with Trixie, but Trixie's just like, hey, this is who I am. You knew that when you got when we got together. And I'm not I love that she never compromises who she is. And Saul, like, I almost got a little bit of annoyed with him because he's just like, oh, would you stop and just pause and just like like motherfucker, she has to take care of this situation. Like, I almost feel like with Saul that he was at certain points with his relationship with Trixie trying to make her into something that she wasn't Mm -hmm. and in the movie he was kind of able to see that okay I need just need to stop trying to totally tame her and let her come to me and do this thing and just accept her as she is yeah and I love it that she was the one where she's like okay let's do this (laughs) <laughs> just like dictating the terms is like yep let's go get married this this feels right it had to come from her right she's not exactly gonna, yeah she's and, and part of that is too that she had to like accept herself in a certain way she's not yeah yeah like during the during the show she wasn't exactly like ashamed of herself but i think she was just so unsure of her ability to not turn tricks right like Oh, yes. That reminds me of like the random girl that comes in. And I can't remember if it was Trixie. I think it was Trixie that yeah. told her where the girl's like, I'm I'm selling pretty much the only thing that I'm going to be good at. Believe you were born to be a whore? Probably doing what I'm fit for. How hard do you suppose the bastard turns you out had to work to make you think that? Trixie got an appointment upstairs oh my god she like that is such a mic drop moment because she like completely fucks up that girl's entire life in a sentence and then walks the fuck out of the frame and you're like holy shit like the look you just rocked that girl's entire world (laughs) like you changed her life and you're like yeah see ya i got a wedding to do and it's like goddamn (laughs) yeah where she's like believe in yourself and that's amazing because, like, David Milch, he understands his female characters on this show, and he's able to write them with such amazing depth and complexity. Like I was talking about earlier, 
they're not all just one note, which is something that I kind of struggled with on Game of Thrones. Hmm. How the female characters could be really super inconsistent and they just wanted to go for the like, rah, rah, girl power. And they kind of lost the depth and complexity that the characters had in the books. Whereas with Deadwood, all like all the different female characters, they have their own strengths and weaknesses. And Alma kind of really reminds me of like a Lady Sansa where she's like, a lady's honor is her armor, or I can't remember exactly what it was, oh, where she's like, she goes, I can't be like Trixie or like right. Jane and be like a deadly gunslinger. She's like, I know what I can do and I'm going to play to my strengths. And uh, she slowly starts to believe in herself. And she's like, this is what I need to do. This is how I need to do to accomplish it. And she decides to get cleaned up from using dope. But then circumstances pushes her to be a more active participant in her life. And she rises to the occasion. She starts taking care of that girl. And she becomes like this epic badass where she's able to buy this land for Deadwood from freaking Hearst. And it was amazing. It's so good. And she doesn't like quit the dope just for like another person to like earn their love or respect like exactly. she does it for herself right yeah exactly because they were already kind of building that little connection between her and seth and in the hands of a lesser writer it'd be like oh she's gonna get clean so that she can be with this man because she doesn't want her to see her like this and mm-hmm. it's just like no nah, she's gonna get clean because she's got vultures circling her that think that she's just some weak defenseless woman that can be easily manipulated and nah son Alma is someone not to be (laughs) fucked with I love it (laughs) and I love how all the residents of Deadwood still respect her and like the reporter dude I love him so much Uh, Jeffrey Jones yeah yeah, where he pretty much calls her, I think it was like Our Miss Alma or mm, something. Yeah. Like the bid goes to her and how they all kind of defer to her. It's amazing. <laughs> one of the best moments, I was watching it with Christina, my wife, and one of the best moments with uh, Merrick there is at the wedding and uh, Hurst gets uh, arrested and he gets the handcuffs put on him and Merrick takes a picture and he's like, say cheese, Mr. or whatever he says. He's like, nice picture, Mr. Hurst and it's like oh damn he is like he's so amazing where he's always like any of the goings on that's in the town he's like oh do you want to have a quote for the newspaper sir (laughs) (laughs) I was so excited to see like each of the old kind of characters where they're just like hey this guy's still at it and I was like I loved you I kind of missed um yeah his buddy from the telegraph but they've got the phone that comes into town and we haven't even talked about EB. How have we not gotten to EB? Uh, speaking of the phone, um, which is such a great moment where once again, like EB wants to impress somebody by being the mayor and he's on the phone and he's like, God damn it. My goodness, a voice. Hello in there. I'm calling the town of Lee. It's Deadwood's mayor, E.B. Farnham, relegated to magnate Senator George Hearst Aaronboy, calling lead lumber at the senator's behest. The Negro will lay slain before this concludes. Christ, I must get the book. 
whatever. Like, what? Yeah. what's your message? <laughs> we don't care. I love it how just, like, nobody respects EB. Everybody's just like, fucking whatever, EB, go do this. He's like, especially when it, like, Hearst was checking into his hotel, and EB's just like, I'm the fucking mayor of this town, in case anybody needs reminding. <laughs> and he's saying it to absolutely nobody, because that's who exactly. EB talks to. That's exactly the kind of character he is, where he's like, he's gonna be completely, like, docile and submissive in front of you, but then just be like, and people, it would be, essentially be that thing where it was like, what was that? And they're like, nothing. I'm sorry. What did you think of, like, all of the characters? I don't know if this was makeup or if it was a lack of makeup, but it looked like all of the characters had aged quite a bit to me. Yeah. Like, they said it was, like, ten years that had passed. It looked like, like a lot more. Like, yeah, the the amount of old age makeup. Like, that one lady that works at the gym, and she's the one that had, like, the, the, the limp, and she had the back brace oh, put Jewel, on. Oh, Jewel, yeah. And, yeah, Jules. Like, she had, like, full-on gray hair and was looking old as hell. And I was like, oh, she man. She looked like a grandma, yeah. Yeah. I know from watching American Gods that Ian McShane doesn't look like that. Like, they were definitely making him up. And, uh... Yeah. And the same for EB, because he was in this past season of American Gods. He played the god uh, Money. And so I was like... Okay, so those two don't look the way that they look right now. So I guess everybody else, like... Saul and uh, Seth and even Alma, they all just looked a lot older than 10 years. But maybe they're like yeah. trying to say something there about the Old West and just like harder living yeah. out there. Yeah, I really noticed that, too. It did, None of it really looked like really super fake. It looked really good. Yeah. And that was something that I, I got really annoyed with. And I think it was because they weren't trying to age them like decades because that was a complaint that I had uh, to go off on a tangent slightly about the third season of True Detective is that the old age makeup on, to mention another Dorf, Steven Dorf, he, the old age makeup on him when he was supposed to be like an old man is like in his 70s and 80s. It didn't look convincing at all. And every time they showed old man Steven Dorf, I was pulled out of the show. Mahershala Ali, he looked, he was totally convincing as an old man. Steven Dorf was not. Whereas on Deadwood, the makeup looked really good. It didn't, like, maybe, like, a couple characters that kind of threw me a little bit. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, they all looked pretty convincingly aged. Maybe not as, like, they looked older than what they were purporting that they were yeah. on the show, on, in the movie. But it still looked really good. None of it kind of really threw me off. We were watching it, and Christina saw it. I was like, oh, did you hear what Dan said? And she's like, that's Dan? Like, it doesn't look like him at all. <laughs> and uh, and I was like, yeah, that's that's him. And, like, out of all the characters, I feel like Calamity Jane, in her looks, like, in her face, looked exactly the same. Like, she hadn't aged a day. And, like, yeah. all the other characters just She was just, just maybe a little so dirtier. <laughs> yeah. I don't, maybe it was, like, digital effects. Like, maybe it was digital makeup, too. I don't... I have no idea. Um, I can't remember if we talked about it on mic. I know we were talking about it before we started recording, um, but there was that moment where Garrett Dillahunt showed back up in the show. Yes, we haven't gotten to that. For those of you that don't know, Garrett Dillahunt, he was the one where he played the character. Um, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but he was the one that killed Wild Bill Hickok. 
and then I think he came back. Was it later in season one or is it in season two? It's season two. He's the main bad guy, basically. He's yeah, Mr. W. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't even think he was related to the character that he initially played. Mm-mm, no. He was just playing a completely different character, and then they brought him back for the movie, and I was just like, this fucking guy. <laughs> He's just like that weird extra where it's like, hey, we're just gonna put in some, some makeup on him to make him look completely different, and just have him in there for old times' sake. Yeah, he's in there for two seconds. Yeah, me and Christina both flipped yeah. out. We were like, oh my God, he threw the thing at Hearst. Like he's the guy whipping up the crowd against Hearst. And, uh, exactly. It's great. He's like, just like my brother. Burr, burr, burr. <laughs> and I was like, I fucking love that guy. Somebody I missed though was Titus Welliver. Like was he, whatever happened? I didn't see him at all. Yeah. Like where's Silas? I wonder if he was just maybe kind of uh, because... Uh, I believe he's still the the TV show Bosch is still going strong, so maybe they just couldn't get him. He's real big. He's the main character on that show, and my brother and my mom are obsessed with that show, and he's great on it. I've watched a few episodes. Oh, he's always and good. He's fantastic on that show. Well, we can move into uh, our traditional lowlights and highlights. Um, so, did you have a favorite part of the movie? Probably have to say the. Square off between Bullock and the two men that killed Charlie Utter. That mm. whole thing is just like so epically badass. Probably close second is when he was calling out Hurst after he found Charlie's body and he set all those poles on fire. Oh God, that it's part. Such a baller so freaking good. move. <laughs> but just like the old fashioned square off and and, and the shootout where he just like shoots that guy he's like yeah you're not using that kid as a shield please (laughs) that was amazing i love that part when he's got the guy in the noose standing in front of hearst and he's like identify the man hired you to do charlie other's murder finally lost your grip marshall name the man go on point him out Who did? Yes! Like, Bullock is the boss. So amazing. (laughs) You know, it's all Bullock, because this movie is about Bullock, and that was, like, the best thing. The writing, still managing to, like, be on point and relevant, you know, like, politically relevant in this time. Yeah. Are you going to do the smart thing when it when it's time to vote or are you going to do the right thing? You know, exactly. are you who are you going to stick with? Are you going to stick with your party or are you going to stick with um, your conscience? But who knows, you know, maybe we get our heads blown off like Charlie Utter. Um, that would be that's the other <laughs> yeah. side of that coin when you do the right exactly. thing. Exactly. <laughs> Could go well, and it could go horribly wrong. Horribly wrong. Speaking of horribly wrong, uh, what's the low light for you? Probably have to say Calamity Jane and that little girl not talking. Because I, I, I just loved, like I said, this show was like sinking into a warm, warm bubble bath for me. Yeah. And I probably if I watched it a few more times, I could probably nitpick some stuff. But just on like a pure sort of like fan servicey level, I really wanted to see that interaction between those two. And maybe a few more scenes between her and Jody, but I was I was really happy with like the kiss that they had and the moments that we did have with them. So yeah, what about you? That's such a good call. Like I hadn't thought about that at all. Um, 
I mean, I missed Richardson mm. you know, for, for, for with EB. Um, yeah. Where he's just always that poor man, a poor sweet man who just gets kicked like a dog. You can't have everybody. Yeah. And I think the implication there is right that Richardson probably passed away or something that, you know. Yeah. Because that's what happened with Powers Booth. Because he was like, his fucking Sigh. character was yeah. just like, he was the straight up evil as opposed to mm-hmm. Swearingen's more sort of like chaotic neutral, I almost say. Yeah, I think you're Whereas right. Whereas like Psy was just straight up chaotic, like law- maybe lawful evil or something. Like I'm not as familiar with D&D things, but he was definitely a straight up evil character. He was like the evil Swearingen. Yeah, no, Jody, she calls him Satan. I mean, that is like the yeah. lawful evil <laughs> character, you know? I did. I missed him. But what are you going to do about that? You know, the actor passed away. Well, this was so fun. Thank you so much for coming and doing this with me, Sarah. What are the other podcasts that you're doing? Where can people find you? What is happening? I'm a little bit on an inadvertent podcast sabbatical. I started a podcast with my sister, but like scheduling problems, we haven't been able to really pick it up. Um, But you can definitely go into the backlog of my old podcast where Alan was on. It was called Genuinely Obsessed. And then I also have two podcasts that I do with friends of mine, Rachel and Trisha, called um, The Detective, The Doctor, and The Woman and uh, Wonking Out. You can check out those two podcasts. And if there's something else randomly that I can just like horn my way back in to be like, hey, can I be another guest show? Because I love just kind of like popping up on these podcasts. I've been (laughs) on y'all's other show, Hallowed Ground, which is amazing. I was, I had my favorite book where we talked about Divine Secrets of the Yaya Sisterhood. So if you enjoy my voice, enjoy what I have to say, definitely check out their other podcast. I'm going to do some promo for you, Alan. (laughs) (laughs) That was a great episode. Definitely check out that one. And I I did to kind of uh, compliment you. I really enjoyed y'all's discussion of Bend It Like Beckham. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that was fun too. I was definitely tuning in to you and your sister um, breaking down all kinds of TV and stuff on your podcast. Uh, and I was, when I was listening to your show, I was like inspired to go back and I watched all of um, Full Metal Alchemist and Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood because you were talking about the comparisons between those. And I was like, oh, I love those shows so much and all the differences and stuff like that. So whenever y'all get um, going again, like I'll be super interested to listen to everything you have to say. Awesome. Yeah. I'll need to get with my sister and be like, hey, maybe we should just like review TV shows. Just bounce around from TV show to TV show. It was good. Because I really enjoy reviewing TV shows and just talking (laughs) about them (laughs) as evident by this discussion. Oh, yeah. (laughs) No, your energy is so good. And uh, and like you're you have a deep knowledge of like fandom and fan fiction and excellent feminist values. And like you're so smart and funny. And that's great. Thank you. It's it's always good to work with you. where can people find you uh, on Twitter and stuff? Oh, yeah. On Twitter, I am on Twitter at other underscore girl where I'm, again, talking about shipping and fandom and stuff like that. Uh, so y'all can definitely check out there. Um, if you're an Instagram type of person, I'm on Instagram, too, at blue underscore girl. I'm also a makeup geek. I'm not just a fan. I I I'm not. I don't just fangirl about TV shows and movies. I fangirl about makeup, and I'm constantly posting makeup looks. So, if you're a nerd that likes makeup, 
follow me on there and I post makeup <laughs> looks and pictures of my cat <laughs> perfect everything the internet wants is right there exactly cat <laughs> pictures and makeup <laughs> perfect all right well you can follow the show on twitter at shadow shambler you can visit our website at shadowsandshamblers.com uh, if you'd like to leave us any feedback uh, please visit shadowsandshamblers.com slash contact or you can send us an email directly at contact at hollowedgroundmedia.com thanks so much to everybody for listening and uh definitely go back and watch all of deadwood yes get to it cocksuckers <laughs> shadow and shamblers is a hollowed ground media production and is released under a Creative Commons non-commercial share alike license. <laughs>